what do you do when Jesus saves you? You boldly share your testimony. Listen to what John records about the man born blind. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. They asked, Who healed you? What happened? He told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. The boldness of this blind beggar inspires us all to tell what Jesus has done for us. For he kept saying, Yes, I am the one. Awesome. Good morning, Cross Church. My name is Joel Fuglerud. I am the children's ministry pastor here at Cross Church. And it is my privilege to share with you guys the Word of God from John chapter 9, continuing our series that Pastor Allen began last week, talking through the first seven verses. And now we get to continue on by going through John chapter 9, verses 8 to 16. So you guys can open your Bibles there. We're going to be walking through this text and seeing what the Lord would have for us. So last week, Pastor Allen began this series through John chapter 9, talked a lot about conversion, right? What it means to be a true believer. In this passage, John chapter 9, verse 3, it says, This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Right? So we're in this passage, we saw how Jesus did this miracle for God's glory. Even though this was an unusual method, right? It was the clay in the eyes being washed, right? It wasn't something that was typical, right? Jesus could have just healed his, touched his eyes or even just declared his eyes to be healed and he could have seen, but Jesus chose to use this method, right? And this is an unusual method that points to God's goodness and his grace. He also talked about what it means to have spiritual eyes opened, right? For this man's physical eyes to be healed and his spiritual eyes to be healed. All of this was done so that people would believe. If you've read the book of John right through the beginning to the end, you will have noticed that in John chapter 20, there's a section that's called the purpose of this book, where John writes in verse 31, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life by the power of his name. So this whole book is written to encourage our belief in the Lord. And that by believing in him, we may have life, right? By the power of Christ's name. And so this is the context that we're reading this, this miracle of this man who was born blind. It points to who God is, right? John is setting up this whole structure of doing this miracle for the glory of God. It reminds us that God's power is infinite, right? That he is sovereign over all things. That he is in control of everything. And that he can use unusual means to bring about marvelous things. And so we'll read verses 8 to 16 together. It says, His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Is this the man who used to sit and beg? 
Some said he was, and others said, no, he, he just looks like him. But the beggars kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they call Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. So this is the passage that we're talking about. It's actually divided into two sections, once where his neighbors and others around him are asking him these questions, and then later he's brought to the Pharisees uh, to be questioned about what happened. So, beginning here with being questioned by his neighbors, right? There's this, this discussion where some think that, yes, this is the same man, and some think that he's not the same man, right? The jury is out, right? They're trying to decide, right? This is an ongoing thing. He kept saying, yes, I am the same one. The world around him was, was watching him, right? They were seeing that something was different. They were trying to discern, and people were on different sides, trying to figure out if this man had actually been healed, if it was the same man. And yet, this man who was blind and could now see was insistent, right? He was saying, yes, I am the same one. He kept saying, I am the same one. He was testifying, right? He was bearing witness of what God has done. And that's what it means to have our testimonies, right? To bear witness, to testify of God's goodness. And we're commanded to bear witness of what God has done in our lives, right? In Acts 1.8, says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are to be God's witnesses, not of what we're doing, but of what God is doing. And this is what this blind beggar is doing now that he has seen the Lord. He is declaring, yes, I am the same one. We are bearing witness of what God has done in our lives. We declare the gospel truth with the, la- the way we live, right? The world outside is looking into our lives to see if we're changed, right? They noticed this blind beggar, that he wasn't there begging outside of the temple, right? He was now seeing, right? His life was completely transformed, and others around him could see it. And the same is true for us, right? The world is looking and seeing. These people are changed, right? When we're converted, our lives are different. And this will catch people's attention, right? It's noticeable because of the stark contrast between the ways of the world and the ways of God. And we need to be testifying boldly that Jesus has opened our eyes. He's healed us, right? He's healed our spiritual eyes to see the goodness of God. And we declare this through our whole lives. Just this last fall, Emily and I had a couple of relatives that passed away in our family, We traveled back to Saskatchewan for Emily's grandpa's funeral. It was a great time of 
celebrating what God had done in his life and through him. We remembered God's goodness in his life. We looked back on Emily's grandpa's life, seeing how God used him for his glory and how Emily's grandpa was surrendered to God's work. Emily's grandpa lived a life that wasn't focused on himself, but it was focused on giving God the glory through all things, whether finances, the people he talked to, how he talked to people. He surrendered everything to the will of God. My great aunt, so my father's aunt passed away this December as well, and we weren't able to make it back for that funeral, uh, but she lived a life that was a powerful testimony of God's goodness. When I was in Bible college, I had to do an assignment of finding a testimony from a missionary. And my great aunt was a missionary in India. She went to Prairie Bible College, and then when she was quite young, she traveled to India to be a missionary. And she left her family here in Canada knowing that she might not see her family again. And when I heard this, I thought that was a crazy act of faith, right? To be willing to follow God no matter the cost. And God really used her story to call me to live in this way of surrender to him. I was saved at a young age. I grew up in the church, grew up going to Christian school. But I really made my faith my own when I was in middle school, and I knew that I was going to do one year of Bible college. And I went to Bible college going to do one year. I thought the people that said they were going to do three right from the beginning were crazy. I know one of my friends said he was going to do that, and I thought he was weird. But in my years of Bible college, God was working in my heart. He was transforming me into who he wanted me to be, being surrendered to to him, being drawn into obedience. And he did this through the testimony of my great aunt, recognizing that this act of her faith to leave her family in Canada, to be a missionary in India, knowing she might not see her family again, isn't a radical expression of obedience. It is faithful obedience that all of us are called to, right? There are costs to being a Christian, and we need to obey no matter the cost. And that's just the call of all believers. I went to Bible college thinking I was only going to do one year. And I was planning on going to commerce to uh, get a business degree and make a lot of money. That was my plan. It was uh, really well thought out. And while I was at Bible college, God was working in my heart to help me recognize the sinfulness of this thinking. Right? It's not that getting a high-paying job was sinful, but that was my motivation, and my heart was selfish and sinful and not surrendered to the will of God. Instead, God reminded me of Philippians chapter 2, where we see this picture of Jesus being taken from heaven, brought to earth in bodily form, and being obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross, right? This brutal death how Christ was obedient, how he was humble, right? This is what God is calling us to. And so God used these testimonies of other people in my life to bring me into full surrender to him, right? And this is a constant work. God is still doing it, this in me, teaching me to lay things down before 
his feet, surrendering to his will. Both these testimonies of my great aunt and Emily's grandpa, they surrendered to God. They presented themselves before God as living sacrifices, as Romans 12.1 says. And the same should be true for us, right? Just like this blind beggar declaring, yes, I am the one who God has saved. We're called to give up what we could have, right? We could have many things. I could have had a high-paying job and made a name for myself in the business world, but God called me to give that up. And when we have faith in God and are obeying what God has called us to do, we do things that are foolish to the world, right? The world declares it foolish that we would give up these things to obey God. And that's because of spiritual blindness, which we'll get into a little bit later on. But through these things, God is transforming us, right? When we testify, he is using those testimonies to work in others' hearts, to encourage them, to spur them on to love and good deeds. And we are living as testimonies of God's goodness, his grace, and his salvation. We all have testimonies, and we're called to share them, right? I work in a church. Lots of you guys are working in uh, secular workplaces. I hear stories from Emily's work that are just sometimes crazy, right? Because it's a different world. And yet, we're called to share boldly. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 12. These are some powerful verses that, that Paul is writing to Timothy. And he starts off by saying, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Right? So we're seeing here that we are not to be ashamed of our testimony of what God has done. God is working in us, and we mustn't stop from declaring that to the world. Right? Even if it means that we're suffering for the sake of the gospel going forth, we must boldly proclaim the gospel, right? declare what God has done in our lives. And we do that by the strength that God gives us. Right? It's not by our own power that we're going and declaring what God has given us. It's by his power working in and through us. We are to be ready to suffer for the sake of Christ. And we will suffer. Right? We know that we will suffer as believers. Right? The world is judging us. Right? We're doing things that are foolish to the world. And yet, and yet God gives us strength in these hard times. Our sinful nature, our tendency is to be timid about these spiritual things. Right? We aren't by, by nature bold. Right? We're we're self-centered and self-seeking, worried about what other people will think about us, right? I was just in chapters the other day, and I was looking at the Christian section, and I couldn't help that thought from coming into my mind of, is someone judging me for thinking or for looking at Christian books, right? It's just a little thing. But our sinful nature is one that doesn't want to be bold, right? It doesn't want to keep on saying and declaring what God has done for us. Paul continues on in 2 Timothy. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this 
He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. So we know that this God who is giving us strength is the one, the same God that saved us and called us. And he called us to live a holy life. This God is the one who created the world, right? We know that Jesus is the creator and God sent his son to redeem us, to save us from our sins, from the death that we deserve. This is the God that gives us strength to endure trials. And therefore, we can testify of what God has done boldly because we know the one who is giving us strength. And it's not because we deserve it, right? But because that was his plan from before the beginning. Before the beginning of time, God had his plan of redemption, right? Where he would send his son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. And it wasn't because we earned this, but because of his grace, right? He extended his grace to us in offering Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for our sins because we pale in comparison to the standard of our one true holy God. He broke the power of sin and death. Paul says, And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. Right? So God has broken death. Right? That battle is won. God has broken death and given us the gift of eternal life. And it's not by anything we deserve, but it's a gift of God. So that we may not boast, but have eternal life. This brings us great joy, right? This is what we are testifying. We are out in the world testifying how God has broken sin and death. He's defeated it once and for all. And we look forward to heaven when we will experience a place where there is no death, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrows. Right, so this is what we're declaring. And Paul says, that is why I am suffering here in prison, but I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Right? We know this God who has given us these things, and we know that he is able, he's perfectly able to keep and guard us until the day of his coming. And therefore, we can suffer assured in what he has done for us, right? The battle is won. And we can testify knowing that we will suffer because we have faith in God's power and his sovereignty that he will keep us and that he will guard us. May our hearts be surrendered to him and respond with obedience to this call to live lives surrendered to him, no matter the cost. In John chapter 9, again here, this blind man recounts to his neighbors of how he was healed. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, is this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. 
The man they call Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Right, so here he's recounting how he was healed. He recounts how this is an unordinary means of God healing him, right? God could have declared that he was just healed and he could see just like that, but God did this supernatural work with, and weird work of the mud and spit in his eyes and going and washing, right? Going to be made clean. This reminds us of lots of other passages in the Bible, right? You think about Jericho, right? And how Joshua and his people just walked around to break down the walls. That's not normal. Why? Because it points to God's goodness, right? And his power. It's not Joshua who's the hero. It's God who's the hero. Think of Gideon. This is what the kids are learning about today. They're learning about Gideon and how God used Gideon's army of 300 men to conquer the whole Midianite army, right? That is nothing of Gideon's doing, right? It removes the power from the army. What seems foolish to the world, why would you send that few men to conquer this whole army? And yet God declares that this is how it will be so that glory will come to my name. Same with David and Goliath, right? We see that stark contrast. And it's not because David had a ton of courage, right? It's not because he stepped up, but it's because he was obedient to God. God used that to point to his power, right? Everything that we do needs to be surrendered to God and his work in us. We also see that in this, there was a, an element of obedience, right? In this specific miracle, we see an element of obedience where if this blind beggar hadn't taken any action, he would have simply been a blind man with mud on his eyes. Right? He would have been looking like a fool. And yet he obeyed God. He had taken action and went and came back seeing. Right? He had faith that God would heal him. And God opened his eyes both physically and spiritually. In John chapter 9, verse 13, we continue on with uh, them bringing him before the Pharisees. It says, Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so they told him, He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could this ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division among of opinion among them. So here we're seeing right, this, this irony of how these Pharisees, who were the religious uh, leaders of the time, right, they were the, the ones discerning what was right and what was wrong. They brought him before him, and yet they couldn't see. Right? They were the ones that were blind when this blind man could see. There's this irony in this passage where the Pharisees are spiritually blind. What is spiritual blindness? We see, looking back into Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, where there's sin entering the world, where Adam and Eve fell into sin, and yet in that very chapter, God 
promises the one who would save us. He promises the one who would come and crush that serpent's head, right? This is the plan that Jesus, God had from the beginning of time. God sent his son to redeem us, right? To call us from that darkness of sin into the newness of life. Sent his son to redeem us because we know that Jesus is the light of the world, right? Jesus says it here in John chapter 9. He says, but while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. He also says it back in chapter 8. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. God is calling us from darkness into this light. If we think back to the prologue of the book of John, which is John chapter 1, John chapter 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. This is the power of Jesus. And yet, the darkness has also not understood it. The light is so powerful. John continues on in verses 9 to 13. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people And even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but but a birth that comes from God. Right? Jesus came as the light into this dark and broken world, the very world that he created. And yet the world didn't recognize him. That is spiritual blindness. The world did not know him, even though he created the world. But to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He has adopted us as his own. That is a glorious truth. That is the truth that we are testifying, that God has opened our eyes. When our spiritual eyes are opened, we can see physically and spiritually. We've all made decisions that are foolish to the world. Their spiritual blindness, the veil in front of their eyes, means that they can't see why we're doing what we're doing. Instead of choosing money to make a name for myself, I chose to obey God, which is foolish to the world, but wise to God. And these things only make sense to those who have had their eyes opened, right? To the world looking in, these things make no sense, which is why there was division among the Pharisees, right? They couldn't see. They were blind. It only makes sense to those who have had their eyes opened. Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? 
But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. When we have our eyes opened, we look through things with a different lens. For those of you youth kids who are at youth on, on Fridays, Pastor Andrew's been talking about having the mind of Christ, talking about glasses, right? And when you take your glasses off, how the world is blurry, right? You have to look through a different lens as a believer, right? Because God has given us the mind of Christ. It changes the way we think about politics, right? It changes the way we think about how the world is going, spiraling into sin and darkness. It changes the decisions we make in our lives, right? Laying ourselves down before God and what he would have us do. This reminds us of the book of Judges. The book of Judges talks about the nation of Israel following God and falling away from God in this perpetual cycle, right? And the book of Judges ends with this verse that says, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the way our world is today, right? Everyone is their own king. Everyone desires to, to do what they think is right, what's right in their own eyes. But as believers, that's different. We're doing what is right in the eyes of God. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. To surrender to what God is having us do instead of acting in our pride, our selfishness, and ultimately our sin. We have the mind of Christ, and the world can't understand it. We don't use this as an excuse for reaching the world, right? This is the the world that we're out preaching the gospel to, this one that's broken, right, that have blinded eyes they can't see. We don't use this as an excuse from reaching the world. We still bear witness of what God has done, even if it means we suffer. We're out there like this blind beggar testifying because they're watching. They're watching as you're in your workplace. They're watching as you're in the grocery store. They're looking. Are you one that is actually changed? Are you different? Is the Spirit transforming you? And if you have the mind of Christ, if the Spirit is working in you, if you have the fruit of, fruit of the Spirit in your life, you will be thinking differently than the world, and there will be evident differences between your life and theirs. And they'll see that, and that's a testimony, right? That's a testimony of what God has done. We still pray for those who aren't saved, right? We're praying Faithfully that God would open their eyes to see the goodness of what he's done, see his glory, see his power. God has transformed us. We came from no different place. We came, we were born broken in sin. And yet God has chosen to open our eyes so that we might see the goodness of what he's done. And we believe that God can also transform the hearts of current unbelievers. We believe that God can draw them to himself by his power. And so we remain faithful in prayer, trusting that he will do this work by his power through us. When we have the mind of Christ, we recognize that we aren't number one. Right? We aren't here out in the world testifying of all the things that we've done, the the money we've made, the name we've made for ourselves, the things we have, we are here testifying of God's goodness. That's our mission. Our mission is to testify of what God has done. 
And that only makes sense if your eyes are opened, right? If your spiritual eyes can see. And here at Cross Church, we talk about these nine habits, right? You've probably heard Pastor Allen talking about the nine habits or attended the nine habits class. And the thing is, these habits won't make sense unless your spiritual eyes are opened, right? These things are foolish to the world. Why would you give up an hour or two every week, each Sunday, to come here and sit and listen to someone talk? Why would you do that? Only if you have the mind of Christ will you recognize the grace that comes through being with believers, right? To hear the word of God preaching. We believe that this is the word of God, right? It is infallible. It is perfect. And it's only when we have the mind of Christ that we value these things, right? Meeting with believers who have this same mind, right? We're spurring one another on to love and good deeds, pushing one another on to godliness. This is what we do in fellowship on Sundays, throughout the week as we meet with other believers. This is the joy that we have in this, and it makes no sense to the world. They want community that makes them feel good, right? That's self-fulfilling, And yet we come here to serve, right? That's another one of the habits. We come here to serve. And sometimes the world will say that you should serve because it makes yourself feel good, which there you have sin again. But we serve for the glory of God, right? And this only makes sense if our spiritual eyes are opened, right? If we're healed from this spiritual darkness, having blinded eyes. And we are in this world testifying that God has opened our eyes by his power in us. So I encourage you guys, challenge you guys to share your testimony boldly, even if it means suffering, because God will give you strength and his power to endure. And the gift of heaven is kept for us by his great power that we look forward to that day. May we share our testimony boldly for the glory of God that those on the outside looking in may see the goodness of God, that they may not see our own uh, powers or works, but they would see the power of God transforming us into the image of his Son. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, this story in Scripture of how you healed this blind man's eyes. Lord, we pray, let us not be like the Pharisees, who have been blinded to the things of God. Lord, we pray that you would soften our hearts, open our spiritual eyes to see your goodness, see the glory of the gospel and how you have saved us from our sins, not because we deserved it, but because of your grace. Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength this week to go out into our workplaces, into our communities, and declare what you have done in us. Lord, we pray that those around us would see what you have done, that you would soften their hearts to believe this glorious truth, that you have conquered death and you have brought us alive in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would do this work in our community and in our people. Lord, we pray that you would give us the faith and obedience to follow you faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go and serve and love the Lord.